0: The Art of Seduction, Kidnapping, and Hypothermia Written by Chaos and Crumpets Chapter 3 Hermione has about twenty seconds to enjoy the warmth Malfoy's body brings to hers, burrowing inadvisably closer as he carries her over the threshold of what must be his shed, because there's no way he lives in a house this small, until she's jostled and jarred, and her hands are unclasped gently from where she's wrapped them around his neck. Then, before she can really process what's happening, he's lowering her down, and it's simultaneously lovely and uncomfortable, because it's warm, but also, it's wet. Wet? What the fuck, Malfoy? She practically roars, as she understands what's happened. You could have taken my bloody coat off! Because he's put her in the fucking bath. The copper one, which stands in front of the fire. It must have been full before she left because it's only warm, but it's somehow perfect for her now twice-frozen limbs. Still, it doesn't stop her outrage at being subjected to this unprompted dunking. I'm sorry, Granger. You were objecting quite vehemently to the declothing. I thought you might see this as a better option. I can help you out, strip you off, and hold you against me again, if that's preferable. She sputters. What am I going to wear? I have an abundance of these shirt things you were so unsure about. I'm happy to donate one to you. I don't want to wear your fucking flannel. Nobody under the age of 60 does. She unwinds her scarf, discarding it over the side of the bath, and tries to pull at the zip of her coat. Her fingers are still slow, and she's struggling more than is probably expected. She exhales a sigh of irritation as he does it for her, pulling her forward to remove her arms with surprising care, and then pulling off her jumper for good measure. What? he asks, in response to her wide-eyed stare. Good wool care is more complicated than most people can appreciate. She refrains from asking him how and why he's come across this information. The Draco Malfoy she's familiar with probably discarded his house-elves after a single use, never mind his clothes. The more important point, however, is that this leaves her in just her bra, once she's pulled off her boots and socks with some difficulty, which would be fine, but for the fact that her nipples appear to be very confused about the rapid temperature changes and are, as a result, uncomfortably erect. He couldn't miss them if he tried. Covering them with her palms, she comments, You seem to be coming up with lots of inventive ways to see my boobs, Malfoy. You're coming up with lots of inventive ways to show them to me. She lets her arm fall to the water, ensuring the splash is large enough that it hits him, where he's arranging her clothes in front of the fire. Malfoy sighs, a long, suffering breath, and brings his hands to his chest, large and yet still graceful. She's so fascinated by their quick movements, she doesn't even object to what he's doing, until his shirt has parted to show his chest. What are you doing? Please, Granger, you've been trying to get me to do this since you woke up. First the questions about my shirt, now the splashing. I'm just giving you what you want. You're welcome. She realizes he's managed to delude himself into thinking she wants to see him topless. Absolute delusion. Absolutely. Delusional Draco. This is not what I... I just explained to you how seriously I take my garment care. And what do you do? You wet my shirt. You're terribly transparent. He's so pleased with himself, and she tries to tear her eyes away from the rapidly lengthening fissure in his shirt. But she can't. It's impossible, because there are delicious pectorals to gaze at, and abdominal muscles, and two crevices which run into his trousers, pointing like an arrow to another part of him she's now curious about. And it's all completely mouth-watering. Stop, she suggests, but it's so weak. It's more like a question, really. He knows. That annoys her, too. And then, because life really is unfair, for the first time since she's been here, he actually does what she asks, smiling cruelly as he retreats to the bed and leaning back on his hands, looking like a catalog model, albeit for a catalog that only sells clothes for lumberjacks and wizened old farmers. Which makes her sad because there's something terribly disappointing about this task. Any task. Being left half done. She wouldn't leave a report half written, or only brush half of her teeth. Why is he doing this? It's unsatisfying in so many ways. He looks so happy with her discomfort that all she wants to do is turn it around on him. And she knows it's probably a little batshit, but he's already seen her naked, and at least this time she'll get to see what he thinks because her boobs are said, in some circles, to be a sensation, thank you. Much better than Malfoy's abs. She has to admit she doesn't have any of those pelvis muscles, but she does have a round bottom, and people seem to like that, too. So she stands up in the bath, and peels her wet trousers from her legs, and throws them at him. She's absolutely thrilled when he doesn't even follow the direction her bra takes when she chucks that across the room, too eyes fixed with worshipful focus on her and only her. Then she calmly sits back down and attempts to affect an air of sexy nonchalance as she begins to rub soap over her shoulders. Her victory comes when Malfoy grabs his coat and shirt still unbuttoned, wrenches open the door, she knew it was stiff, and ventures out into the snow. This is all well and good, and she's basking in her glory, right up until the bathwater starts to cool rapidly, and she has no towel, and no clothes, and her options are remaining in the basin, or sitting naked, well, she has knickers on, waiting for him on his bed. Because Hermione is many things, but an unapologetic rifler through people's drawers and cupboards, she is not. Never, under any circumstances. Wondering if he meant to leave her with such a conundrum, she grabs the blanket from the corner where she'd thrown it earlier in her rage and moves to the window, wrapping it around her shoulders as she goes. The fire has burned low in the time they've been... What exactly have they been doing? Establishing dominance? Setting the boundaries of their new relationship? She's not entirely sure, but she also feels like she's come to a conclusion about him that she needed to arrive at herself. So maybe it's been a useful exercise. Getting to know each other again. And she's just wondering where the wood is kept, so she can add some to the fire when she realizes that's exactly what he's doing. She won't even have the satisfaction of telling him, because he's there lifting an axe high above his head in a way that makes her stomach clench. It's distinctly odd, because physical exertion has never done anything for her before, especially not labor so unskilled. What's hard-earned about brute strength? He's just so tall, and he holds that axe very competently. The snow continues to fall, Although it's drifting gently now, instead of the hammering it had been giving her face earlier, she doesn't even know how long she's been here. She thinks it must be almost a full day, given that the sky is beginning to darken again. Determined to make herself useful, she sets about boiling the kettle. Ah, he says when he walks through the door, eyeing her ensemble. Just what we need. More wet material. Well, you didn't leave me a towel or... So you thought, I know, I'll dampen the thing we need to keep us warm tonight. There are at least two other blankets on that bed, Malfoy. That patchwork one is a comforter, Granger. You can't... (sighs) It's decorative. Merlin, I thought you were meant to be intelligent. Your textiles know-how is very much lacking. Believe it or not, Malfoy, the knowledge I have collected expands to things other than materials, their uses, and their care. He nods seriously. Your poor jumpers. She doesn't answer him, because this is encroaching on what might be normal conversation territory, and she certainly isn't ready for that. When she finishes, he exchanges the cup she gives him for a handful of flannel she is unsurprised to receive. She manages to get it buttoned beneath the blanket, turning her attention to the second garment. What are these? she asks. He rolls his eyes. They're boxer shorts. Really green. What are they doing in my hands? Well, I didn't think my trousers would do. You have uncommonly short legs. I can't wear... By all means, go without. That will make an interesting bedtime. She scowls. She can't possibly put them on, because they're his underpants. And they're clean, but they've touched his... his... And they'd be against her. And it would be like they were touching each other's... She knows that's illogical. And thank God she doesn't voice it, but it feels weird. It's also weird that she's not uncomfortable enough with the idea not to put them on. He won't even be able to see them anyway, because his shirt is huge. That makes her feel slightly better. And small. You wear it better than I do. Oh, I think you do flannel quite well, her mouth says, before her brain can stop it. Really? That's all you're getting in the way of compliments? I'll take it. She moves cautiously to the bed and sits down on what she thinks of now as her side. Is this your house, Malfoy? It's smaller than I thought. It's an outbuilding I use for guests sometimes. The main house is just a few hundred meters away, but this is easier to keep warm in a storm, because it's smaller, and the fireplace is larger. It's also closer to the sheep. The sheep? Yes, for wool. That's the thing. That's why you're so passionate about my jumper. Indeed. Hermione is just getting comfortable against the headboard, caught on contemplations of Malfoy's sheep, when he hands her a book. She runs her fingers down the spine, which is soft with wear, a favorite or an heirloom. She turns it over to find tales of Beetle the Bard emblazoned in gold calligraphy on the front. A favorite of mine, he says. It's for children. Children's stories are full of lessons we can all learn. Before she can respond, he's moved away, chopping something at the single surface next to the stove. She begins her perusal of the book. She can see by the worn pages which are his favorites. The book falls open unprompted to the fountain of fair fortune. He's lent her a piece of his childhood here, and for reasons she doesn't want to admit, she feels warmth blooming in her chest. It's different to the heat of the fire and the blankets underneath her knees to the comfort inspired by watching the snow fall gently outside the darkening window, or the smell of what she thinks is beef and carrots stewing in a pot. His life here is warm and soft. That's what he wants to be, too. She can see it in his sturdy stone cottage and his roaring fire, his warm clothing and his handmade blankets. She can even see it in his sheep. Suddenly, there are tears collecting in the corners of her eyes she can't seem to stop not that she really wants to. It sort of makes sense, and also it doesn't, because he wants to be close to the sheep to check on them, because he cares. He reads children's stories to reflect on the simple lessons that he sometimes needs to be reminded of, because he's not a one-dimensional parody of a pseudo-racist, but a man who has grown and changed and bettered himself in the ten years which have passed since she saw him last. Because now she knows even a bit of him, that wouldn't be surprising. It's clear in his every action. Thank you for picking me up, Malfoy. I don't think I've said that yet. It's quite all right, Granger, he says, handing her a bowl of steaming casserole. Tomorrow morning, I'll walk over to the main house and call for a tow truck. The roads should be gritted once the snow stops, and you can escape back to your life. Yes, thank you. Something inside her objects to this plan. Because it's been almost a day since she arrived and it's been far from enjoyable, what with the hypothermia and the kidnapping and the Malfoy of everything. But also, it's peaceful here. Nothing to do with him, of course. But she thinks she might like not being busy all of the time, and it's been refreshing to be cared for, even if it is by him. She feels a twist of shame in her gut that this is the first time she remembers feeling rested in ages. Maybe Malfoy is on to something here. Will they have sent out a search party for you? Probably not, she admits. Why's that? I'm usually so busy. No one ever knows exactly what I'm doing. Oh, that sounds stressful. I like it, she insists. She isn't sure, though. Once she's finished her surprisingly satisfying meal, she announces, I'm going to need to go outside to, uh, visit the facilities. Malfoy makes a great fuss of dressing her in his trousers, which are too large, and his coat, comically bulky, and hat, which falls low over her brow, and watches her as she trudges her way to the toilet through the snow. She admits this is probably because she hasn't got a good record for walking in the last twenty-four hours, and she doesn't even feel particularly offended by his supervision. He holds the door open as she comes back through, smiling with relief and he helps to extract her from the many layers he bundled her in. It's nice and silly, but also caring. And then there's a moment. A moment which hangs between them, just as he's pulling off her hat. Because his thumb brushes her ear, and then her jaw, and suddenly they're lingering. His touches have lost the briskness of practicality. She feels him running his fingers through her hair. No small task and his gaze meanders to her mouth. She only knows that because she's been cataloging the softness in his gaze as the seconds have hung between them. She's just as bad because she's looking into his eyes, and it sounds cheesy even to herself, but she's completely stuck. She couldn't look away even if she wanted to. She's angled her chin upwards, offering him her lips. She knows she parted them when she caught him looking. She's leaning up on her toes, and her hands are resting on his chest, all pretense of distance now gone. And Malfoy's hand is hovering, like he might be about to... Then she remembers. She can't kiss Malfoy. She just cannot. She shouldn't want to. Doesn't. That's what she means. She doesn't want to. To kiss him. Don't, she whispers. What? They are motionless, caught between the wanting and the giving, or the taking of the kiss. She takes a deep breath. Don't tell me I've got snow in my hair, or an eyelash, or... Her voice has trailed off from breathy into nothing. Okay, he says. He steps away, and the cold that settles over her again has nothing to do with the snow.